We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No longer content with just stealing a march on top four, Arsenal's campaign to regain the title starts now. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Vittig, the Twitter Yankee Gunner, uh, under the weather, and so trying to take a deep enough breath to get that all out, not working well. Very high fever, along with some other um, challenging uh, symptoms, is the word I'm looking for, that thankfully are not COVID, so that's good, but turns out you can still be sick. So we're playing hurt today. Let me give you a quick uh, heads up on what we're going to do. Clive and Paul are coming on now. We're going to look ahead to Watford, which will be uh, a comfortable win before we go ahead and slap Liverpool to really reassert ourselves as a title contender. So I'm looking forward to that. After the break, Phil Costa, you may remember him from our Euro Daily episodes or from our um, Euro Roundup on the Patreon side of things, will join to talk Emil Smith-Rowe. He works for Scouted Football. Not Emma Smith-Rowe, he works for Arsenal. Uh, but Phil Costa works for Scouted Football. And they have an episode out, and their cover uh, uh, an, an issue out, and their cover boy is Emil Smith-Rowe. So we're going to talk about him, why they chose him as the cover boy, his development, and all things Emil Smith-Rowe, which I think is perfectly fine. Um, obviously, a lot of people enjoying the Saka and Smith-Rowe chant. So, you know, we're trying to stay topical here. That's what we do. We'll talk a little bit about the AFCON today, too, as well. Uh, African Cup of Nations coming up going to be disruptive to a lot of teams, not just ours, but uh, it has led to all kinds of crazy rumors like we're back in for a Danny Ceballos return. I know uh, Paul is very happy about this. He's got his Ceballos shirt dusted off and ready to go, so we will discuss that. That is enough from me uh, as I am barely keeping it together, so let me introduce Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. I'll pause. Woohoo. I, I do a brighter woohoo, but it doesn't seem in keeping with how crappy you're feeling, so yeah, woohoo. It's, it's funny, right? Like in the age of COVID, you just forget that you can get regular sick and it can really suck. And it really, really does suck. Um, but, you know, we count our blessings. So, uh, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello. And we did, uh, with all three of us gentlemen here, a rewatch of the uh, first half against Leicester that was really interesting. And, and again, a lot of these rewatches, I see something that is not how I remembered it, really enjoyed it. We had an interesting debate about whether the save on um, – uh, 
who what who was it? Inacho. The Inacho save was actually in some ways better than the the free kick save. And the thing that I was inter- interested in watching it again, um, David Seaman talked on the Arscast about his foot speed, Ramsdale's foot speed, and that Ianacho save, if you get a chance to watch it again, look at the really super quick choppy steps he takes backwards to get in a position to tip that away. Really interesting. Um, I should also mention the reason Tim is not here is he is doing an interview today that will appear on a podcast next week, and we've got something uh, fun related to that. So he's doing an interview. That audio will be out next week, and we're looking forward to that. Okay, onwards and upwards. Let's start, Clive, just with the Watford game. This is the last sort of moment for us to enjoy what I think is a, a relatively tranquil period in the schedule. Uh, it is Liverpool after this, I believe. So this this is the, the kind of game that unfortunately I think can actually really trip you up because you, you look past it, you got one eye in Liverpool, you think, oh, we're in good form. But of course, these are the games you absolutely have to win because after this Liverpool away, Newcastle at home, no big deal there. United away, Everton away. Um, then Southampton home, then West Ham, who are quite good. So it's a period where, you know, we will see after Watford really what the the ceiling might be able to be on this season. So do you look at Watford as being the classic sort of, we would call it in America, I think, a trap game, the the game you look past ahead of the big games on the horizon, and how do we avoid that? Yeah, a lot of people are looking for the next game to be convinced. The next game is always the next biggest thing in our in our lives. And, um, you know, Leicester was a big game. Villa was a big game. Now we've sort of brushed them off. It's like, oh, my God, Watford's a big game. Really, we're, we're, we're on that little index of how convinced are we about all of this. We're enjoying it a lot, but we don't want to get too excited because our emotions would be unprotected, right? And we could get really hurt <laughs> if we yeah. jump on board too much. So um, I'm watching Watford in the season. They look so quick. Some of their early results were good. Look so fast. They go crikey. They're a strong side. Then they fell away, and obviously they do what they always do: is to change the manager, and they lose two games. And so now um, <laughs> they've got <laughs> they've got the old elder statesman in, in there now, and he's um, and it'd be interesting what happened because they also they went to Everton and absolutely bopped them late in the game. And really shook them. So they have that ability, particularly away from home, to to really break and sprint. So very fast with Josh King and and Saar. And I and I like Saar a lot. He's made Saar. I like him. Um, we we don't need him per se, but I like him. You know, and I, it's one of those buys we should have got. That's one of the benefits of being in Europa League. We saw him firsthand. I watched him at Arsenal playing for Rennes. He scored when we went to their place, and he looked really good. I thought, okay, if you're in Europa League, use it for scouting. Well, of course we didn't. <laughs> we let him go to we let him go to the club next door, and uh, and uh, yeah, he's done pretty well. I'm surprised he stayed with Watford when they went down, but he did. They come back up, and he's still there, which makes me wonder why has not somebody picked him up? Particularly Liverpool, actually, because he's got his um, international teammate there in Mane. So I think that. That's an interesting one. But yeah, I'm just a little bit concerned about their speed. But watching them against Southampton, I think, yeah, we got we, we should be all right if we bring our brains with us. I think that's the most important thing. Bring your brains. Don't bring your complacency. Bring your, we need to win this brain and then go from there. Yeah, I mean, it, you just never know how much this affects these these players when they're in a good run of form and they see Liverpool on the horizon and it gets in their head. But I think the good news, in a way, is that because we don't have these midweek games, or you know, we have a lot of time to focus on the next opponent. And so we we should be really ready for Watford. 
Um, you know, what I'll say about them is that they just have a dreadful defensive record. And, I, you know, I think teams like that, it's really doing us a favor, right? Because the one thing we know is we, we you know, we haven't always created the, the volume of good chances we'd like to. They seem like they can be gotten at defensively. Um, I don't think, do they have a clean sheet this season? They have one clean sheet, interestingly, against Chris, actually, nope, that was in the uh, League Cup. So they don't have a clean sheet this season. And, Paul, you know, I, I think given, again, that we have the whole week to prepare for them, the worry that you might have that you come back from a midweek game and you overlook this and you're looking ahead to um, Liverpool, you know, I wouldn't be too worried about it. The funny thing is if you look at their fixtures, you guys, how about this as a run for Watford next? Arsenal, United, Leicester, Chelsea, Man City. I mean, <laughs> so they've, you know, they've got, they've got a really, really tough task ahead. And it would not surprise me if we are looking at them bottom of the table uh, December 5th after they played Manchester City. So, Paul, h- how do you feel about this game, you know, approaching it with the professionalism that we need and the, the, the likelihood that we, you know, might might have that kind of slow look past them start or do you think we'll be fired up from the beginning? Uh, I think we'll be fired up from the beginning. Obviously, in this league, almost anybody can, can give you a surprise, um, as Everton found out. But, look, uh, we should be way too much for them. Uh, we're, we're having a good run of form. We start fast these days. Um, there's no reason for this to be any different. We're playing at home with the crowd behind us. We'll, they'll want to keep the good vibes, that uh, support from the crowd. So I think we'll ha- hopefully have a very energized start. Um, look, I haven't watched a ton of Watford because like, they, they, they haven't been great. Mm-hmm. And uh, it hasn't really called me, but from from what I've seen in the last game or so, and what I've read on them, Ranieri is turning them into a little bit of a uh, whatever it is, twenty sixteen or so Leicester in Sit terms deep of encounter. Yeah, yeah, uh, use their speed, go direct, go a little longer. They were they had been doing build up from the back. Uh, they had been uh, kind of heading up, then heading back with the ball and just trying to be more of a possession team. So we've just played Leicester. They're actually good at being Leicester. Um, hopefully Watford aren't good at being Leicester yet, but I, you know they're going to use their spade, their, their, uh, sorry, their speed, their counter-attacking. We should be well-primed for this. Uh, obviously things can go wrong, but like uh, you can put an asterisk on anything you say about any predictions on the game. We should be too much for them. It, it's very important uh, all these games are important because all games are important in the Premier League. Uh, but like, if we're going to have the season, we were crossing our fingers. We might have this is a big game, like all the other games we've just played are. Uh, we got to get three points from this one and yeah. go into Liverpool confidence. So that's what I'm hoping to see. Yeah, I mean, it's also unbelievably somehow another international break after this game. So. You just you know the you just love having those two weeks when you can sit and reflect on a win and all the episodes are more fun and rewatches are more fun and jokes on Twitter are more fun as opposed to two weeks stewing over loss. I will uh, ask you, Clive, are you surprised that uh, neither Benjamin White nor uh, Emil Smith Rowe got a call up? Uh, the Ben White one, I, I was a bit surprised because he's playing better than Tyro Mings, who's last seen on the bench in their last game, and um, and Connor Cody, who's last seen... Well, the Wolves are doing quite well in current form. But, um, you know, I think he's a better player than them. But 
you know, I think they're playing Andorra and San Marino. This is you know, this is not Italy and Spain. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if he can sit at home and get his legs up, that's fine by me. You know, the most important thing for us this season is to really feel the benefit of not playing midweek. And I've got to say, it's something that I really wanted us not playing midweek. But actually, I do miss some of the games. You know, I miss some of the action. Yeah, of but, course. But, you know, there's a longer there's a longer goal here for me. And in my head, in my little head, I have this little master plan as if I can affect what's actually going to happen. But in my little master plan is, if we are going to jump up into those, uh, those higher places, we need the serenity of three weeks. And that is something I do know about Arsenal Football Club. We do not do three games a week continuously very, very well. And we haven't done for a few years now. And it's something that we have a chance to do something slightly different with our young developing squad. I'm not saying that we're going to end up in the top four or anything like that, but if we're going to have a chance, it's when we're outside of Europe with this age of squad. So, um, yeah, I've, it's, it's, I find it a challenge, Elliot. I don't know if you guys probably do as well. I find it a challenge. I miss some of the games. Oh, I but, miss them terribly, yeah. Yeah, but I have to say the, the weekend games, they feel like cup finals. I was scanning online for tickets for the Watford game and they're just they're flying out the door. They're, they're sold out, but you can, you can get a few on ticket exchange. And, you know, tickets are being sold again. You know, their away tickets are being recycled. They're not being recycled. They're being kept, you know, and um, that's a sign that things are going good and there's a good feeling about things. So, again, we're, we're holding on to our emotions, but people are not stupid right they know what they're looking at they know when something feels right and um yeah i miss those games but i also the benefit of it is huge so for, for smith row again sorry mate i'll drift off the question smith row you do me a favor honestly the less i have to do <laughs> smith row under 21s have got some proper games in the break and so him and connor gallagher are in that side and they are and they are they are needed you know so um i can see that i can see the reasoning there and after these next two qualifiers, the England qualifier, right, then Southgate will look at the squad properly and say, okay, who's going to be in it? I, I expect to see Ben White get back in quite quickly. Smith-Rowe's got a huge battle because Southgate loves Mason Mount. you got Grealish. you got others there that are flying. you got Foden. you got all those players in the same slot. I think it's going to be really hard for him to break in in this World Cup cycle. Mm. And maybe the next one could be one for him. So, yeah, what's his space? It's interesting, too. I feel like international teams are like a club, and once you're in, you're in. You know, Bukayo Saka is now an England international, and that's it, and it's just established. Could you make an argument that right now Emil Smith-Rowe is playing better at Arsenal than Bukayo Saka? I don't think you could definitively say it, but I think you could say it's certainly an argument. But, you know, Saka's in the club with England, and... Smith Rowe's not there yet, and I I doubt that it'll be long before he is, and I think he will have a big England career, is my guess. But, you know, I'm fine with that having to wait. Paul, it's, um, you know, it is a, a, a layoff, an international break, until we face Liverpool. And, you know, that means that the, the manager can, you know, really go full throttle here against Watford. But I'm wondering, you know, is there is there a benefit for him to get other players involved in this game, or you, you expect that he'll just go with the the lineup that's kind of established itself now, Oba, Lacazette, Smith-Rowe, Saka, Sambi, Party, Tomiyasu, Benjamin White, Gabriel, uh, Tavares, I guess, and then Ramsdale. Yeah, so Tavares is the interesting one. I guess Tierney, the Scotland manager, was hinting might be back and fit enough 
potentially to play this weekend because he was talking about him playing for Scotland and that he might be back for this weekend. Still Can I ask you seems- a question about that? If we say he's not ready to play this weekend, then we have an argument for not using for him not being able to go away with Scotland, right? Like we can kind of there is no way on 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 this earth Kieran Tierney will not go and play for Scotland. Even well, then maybe the manager- all the more reason not to play him against Watford. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time yeah. Off. yeah. I don't think he'd play against Watford um, for for a couple of reasons, but the primary one being what's the rush. Um, and the you know, on the other hand, from Nuno's standpoint. Uh, what would be the rush to drop him from from the relationship with the manager? So I think uh, the natural reestablishment of Kieran Tierney's role in the team would be after the interlull. <clears throat> um, so and, and just give him some more time. Uh, I always thought it was a a funny one. Like there was, there's always the dilemma of who do you bring in as a a new signing, a backup to Kieran Tierney. You don't want somebody crap. We've done that before. Uh, you know, we lost <laughs> our shit over. In particular. Yeah, yeah. We lost our shit over Ryan Bertrand uh, rumors, um, and we bring in this guy, and it's like it's great because he's young and he's he's like he'll have time to develop, and like already we're here. Like it's great. Don't get me wrong, but we're already at this it's a honeymoon period so maybe all Nuno's flaws will emerge very soon but like he's just at this point where he's like gosh he's he's really pushing for it and then you think of Kieran Tierney's challenges in that he if anything he's got a risk to overtrain overwork and you bring in a young a young gun who's like bulging with muscles incredible athleticism tearing it up I'm just afraid the guy's going to pop 27 calf muscles and 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 uh, thigh muscles prepping himself in the gym trying to keep up with this young gun. I'm not sure we actually got the perfect backup, even if we thought we did. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be an interesting dynamic and a great problem. Um, and, I mean, interestingly, I, I kind of – we talked about that on, uh, I think, in the maybe the Leicester pod, but like one of the things Nuno brings is he might actually bring a level of defensiveness. Like Kieran Tierney's pretty good defensively, but it's not his biggest strength. Um, I didn't have Nuno down as a, a defensive uh, force, but he certainly has the physique, physicality. Like it's not just speed, right? If he gets across a guy, the guy ain't getting past him. Nine I think times out of ten, in terms of the physicality, speed, yeah, mus- muscular, and like in terms of the physical gifts, he has, he actually has what it takes to take that position off. off Isn't some most of it starting position too? Though, like we 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 yeah. sort of had to do this thing with Tierney where he just bombs forward and then the center yeah. midfielder drops into the space behind. Whereas with with Tavares, we're letting him sort of pick his spots to go forward, but he's not just rampaging up the pitch and running away from the defenders. Yeah, because we don't build our attack on him and this asymmetric left wing thing, we don't kind of skew his position so badly that he can't get back, plus his recovery speed. And again, the the physique with the cover, it's one thing to catch up to the player. It's another to be able to catch up with the player and just move him off the ball, which Nuno can do. So I know it sounds like I'm advocating for (laughs) pushing Kieran Tierney out. Um, I, I love Tierney, but this is this could like if if Nuno ups his quality and his composure and takes away some of that rawness that maybe we we feared he might have. It, if that was a bit of a 
a mirage and he's actually a little more polished or becomes polished quickly. That's one hell of a battle on the left yeah. hand side. Yeah. And yeah, some I, great options. I just I, noticed yeah, Clive, just, yeah, to, just mm-hmm. to bring some updates to that. Um <laughs> Kieran Tierney actually trained today. So oh. he's back in full training in the training videos. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting. So he's gonna get a couple of training sessions in before the weekend. Personally, I think the type of athlete is merely sorry. He's more of a speed endurance guy, 30, 40 yard sprinter. I think Nuno's a perfect matchup for that. Yeah. So I think it, it sort of makes sense to me to keep it as is. And systemically, the way Tierney has played historically, we haven't done that since we brought Lacazette into the, into the pivot, shall we say, the one plus one role. And we saw in the rewatch how we were setting up with the centre-back split, centre-mids on the slant, and your full-back just on the next line, but not too high, sitting on, on the same horizontal line, but not not asymmetric, shall we say. So Kieran Tierney can do that just as well as anybody. So I know what I would do for this week. I would look after him for Scotland, because they're going to play him every minute of every game. And I'd look after him, maybe bring him off the bench and just give him some sharpness. And then... He'll play for Scotland, and then he'll play at Anfield, where we're going to. Well, can, can I ask you something about that? Because I was just thinking about this, Clive. Like, it, it sets up kind of weird because you say, "All right, don't play him against Watford," which I agree with, so that he can go play for Scotland those two games with just a little bit less football in his legs. But then you got a situation where for two weeks, Tavares is sitting around the training ground with Mikel Arteta, with Liverpool on the horizon, and Tierney's off with Scotland, having not played for you in a month. And you got this guy who's played well for you and been there for training the whole time during the international break, and another guy who's rocking up, you know, presumably on the Thursday before the Liverpool game. It makes it kind of hard to just throw him back in, doesn't it? Given that, like, the manager will have had all this time working with Tavares and all this good experience, you know, unless something goes badly wrong this weekend with Tavares. And now here's Tierney, a guy obviously everybody rates, but who's been away with Scotland, hasn't been training, and you haven't seen him really play in your shirt for a month or a month and a half. Yeah, we got you, Elliot. You're not very low. For the start of the season, you were saying, this Tavares guy, he's not going to play. Tierney's going to play 38 games. He's got no Europe. And now this Tavares is coming. That Tierney, and I don't think you can pick him. (laughs) So I like to update my prior, which I am doing (laughs) as we speak. So yeah, it, me personally, I, I, that's what I would do. I would I would save Tierney's legs a little bit. We know that Steve Clark is going to play. Trust me, the best two players are him and Robinson. They're going to play. Scotland have got it all on. He's going to play, right? So, and he will not take him off neither. He'll play, <laughs> and so he he'll come back. He'll come back match fit. If you see what I mean, if he is fit, and you go to Anfield, which is the hardest away day in Europe, and for me, you have your boys that have done it before. You have your boys experience at that level. You have your guy just given a four-year contract to uh, and north of £100,000 a week and probably going to be our next captain. You make sure you have him there for the for the big moments. And that's what I would do. You know how I feel about ending games. And, you know, I, I look forward to the five subs when they can actually happen so we get less strung up about the, the starting yeah. 11, yeah. shall we say, because I, I love to see tactical nuances has been handed to the coaches and three subs is never enough. I think four would be nice if I'm if I'm really honest. But five, when you have five subs, you tend to use four rather than five because you, it's a bit risky, if you see what I mean. So I think that's really, really positive for coaching side of things. So yeah, I'm not worried about... That's how I would do it, Elliot. And I, I think form goes through sort of waves in a season. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not concerned about our good form. 
But I'm looking at, say, Man City, for example. I'm looking at the players they got on their bench who are not in form right now. You know, they got Stones on the bench, Sterling on the bench, De Bruyne on the bench. These guys all have their moment, you know, and we've got quite a few of our guys having moments, but some of them are not, like Saka, for example. But he will come again. How you ride form, how you ride that hot hand is really important. And I think for Nuno, one more go, and Kieran Tierney will take over after his international break, in my opinion, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I I would be fine with that. I, I think it is just sort of an interesting situation you find yourself in. If Tierney doesn't play for Arsenal this weekend and then plays twice for Scotland and Tavares is excellent again this weekend and has all the international break to be with Arteta preparing for Liverpool, you know, it it, it sets up where you would think he might be in, in the driver's seat for that position. The thing I will say is that the Liverpool game... I almost see it as a free hit. Maybe you don't want to look at it that way, but like they're very, very, very good. We have not been particularly competitive with them when we played them recently. It'd be great to get a result, but our season for me does not actually hinge on the Liverpool game. It's the games around it. Uh, you know, we got to beat United. Like that, those are the ones. So I'm I'm willing to be a little more lax on that. Obviously, Watford is the one we got to go out and win. And and here's the thing, Paul. We we are getting ready to get to a period pretty soon where we are going to have to solve a squad problem that a lot of teams are going to be struggling with, and that's the African Cup of Nations. And this is where I wanted to direct the rest of our conversation, I think, because there have been rumors, nonsense rumors in my mind, that we're looking at bringing Ceballos back. And of course, my initial reaction to that is, well, bollocks to that. It's ridiculous. But you sit back and you think and you go, okay, no Thomas Party, no Mohamed Elneny, and probably no Granite Xhaka, depending on injury. So your midfielders are... Sambi Lakanga and Ainsley Maitland-Niles. You know, depending on how you think Odegaard could be used or Smith-Rowe or Sack or whatever, but that's it. It's Sambi Lakanga and Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Those are your midfielders during the AFCON. And then up front, there's no Aubameyang. There's no Pepe. Um, you know, it it does can, start to... Can I yeah, ask you, yeah. why do we think the Ceballos rumors are ridiculous? I don't, but I haven't spent a huge amount of time on it, but why... I think it's more that I think the idea that you would bring a player in whose job is to be there for you for basically one month and then not... Like, I don't think Ceballos is someone we want to make an Arsenal player long-term. And I think the only way we should bring in a player to to cover the AFCON period... I I mean, I guess with a loan, you could say, look, we're loaning you to play for one month and that's it. But, like, it has to be lined up right away. You have to get it done January 1st. And then by the end of January, you're basically saying to that player... Thanks for the memories. It's just a weird, it's, weird, weird yeah. approach. But wouldn't it be ridiculous if we did nothing? Because we could have uh, Chaka not fit. Yeah, I see it both ways, Paul. Absolutely. Like, how could you not do something is my question. It could be Sambi Lakanga and Maitland-Niles. Uh, Charlie get, Patino, Miguel Aziz. I mean, there's not much there. You're yeah, right. Well, it won't, yeah. Well, Miguel Aziz we can't have. Yeah, He's out right. and alone. Yeah. Uh, so Charlie Patino hasn't been deemed large enough to uh, to make uh, the bench and the pitch for any like cup that games. Yeah, what yeah. about what about creative solutions like like a Benjamin White moving into midfield and Tomiyasu becoming a, a center back? You know, I mean, you could start to do things like that. Benjamin White could play with Maitland Niles or Sambi, and then you could have, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I hate to say it, There's but there's been could have, a lot like, of talk Cedric. about. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about Whitey in midfield. And, uh, Just for this period, yeah. Yeah, but uh, because he 
played midfield a couple of times at Leeds. But I think a lot of people say that, but didn't watch the games. And I didn't watch, I think he played two, maybe three games in midfield. Um, I watched one and a half of them. And he wasn't, it wasn't very midfieldy what he was asked to do. It was basically, I mean, we know how Leeds play. They're not exactly possessing the ball and stroking it around in midfield. He was basically being Ben White but standing in midfield. Um, and in fact, Bielsa was chopping and changing. I think he had like four, the commentators were going nuts. He had four formation changes in the space of about five minutes at the end of the first half after starting with with uh, Benjamin White in midfield because he just, I don't think it was a knock on White by any means, but he just wasn't happy with what was going on. So it's not like he was this great midfielder option for Leeds or for anybody else. So, uh, I mean, we all know he's good on the ball and he ha- he probably has the skills and ability to do a pretty good Declan Rice impersonation, but I don't know that you drop him in for two games and expect it to go well alongside Sambi Lukanga. Like, if Danny Ceballos is up for it, he's a known quantity. He's played good games for us. Um, like, I, he's not the be-all and end-all for what we would need. I mean, he'd be replacing, my God, Party and maybe Chaka, which is, you know, he plays alongside those go- guys. The problem is there'll be three or four guys who play alongside a Chaka or a Party, and it's potentially Chaka and, and a very likely Party who's gone for a bunch of games. So, um, <sighs> I guess the way I'd answer it, Paul, is I would say, like, can you use the combination of like Smith Rowe, Odegaard, Samby, Maitland Niles, maybe Benjamin White to roughly get through that period and not then be stuck with a player that you've kind of marooned in your team where you're saying like, thanks for the memories. You know, now we don't need you. And especially given that you're not a hundred percent sure of the improvement you get from that player. I I know I'll flip it to you, Clive. Like you, you could certainly address the Ceballos rumors, but even just more than that, Midfield's going to be an issue if Shaq is not fit. And I guess my expectation is that some combination of Maitland Niles, Samby, Odegaard, maybe Benjamin White, maybe even Smith Rowe is what Arteta leans on to get through it rather than bringing someone in to be surplus to requirements by the end of January. Right. So there's two or three rumors that are out there, firstly. So Tobias is one. It's, it's a pretty weak one, in my opinion. Um, Mourinho is also looking at him, by the way, and, and Nacho to go to to Roma so I think this is a classic case of player not playing sitting on on his backside let's get some rumors out there to let everyone know he's available in January yeah yeah right um there is other there's two other rumors loan rumors there's one other loan rumor in Alex Oxlade Chamberlain uh, again that causes friction amongst Arsenal fans he's 28 he's now really playing for Liverpool so I don't see that happening but um Arteta's meant to be a fan and it was a loan deal potentially but He's, you know, that seems to have changed the last couple of weeks. There's another rumor of a guy called uh, uh, called Dennis Zachariah, um, Shaka's Swiss teammate. Now he's on a free transfer next next summer. Now he's somebody that basically Shaka should have been playing with many many years ago. We should have bought him years ago. Um, he's quite leggy, a little bit Joe Willicky inside and outside. He sometimes plays on the right and sometimes plays inside. Very leggy, very two way. If it's a potential free transfer or a small fee, and it's somebody that we've been continually linked with for a few years now, that one's got a bit of something about it. It sort of fits the age profile. 
Um, El Nenny's meant to be going to Galatasaray. That looks pretty solid. Whether he stays or you know, well, he's not available for having to nations anyway. But El Nenny could disappear. Party seems a long termer. Sambi seems a long termer. Shaka seems at least this season. Um, and we'll see what goes on. So there is room for one more. There are rumours still of Everton sniffed around Maitland now, so see what happens there, whether that be now or the summer. It doesn't need to be now, given the fact we lose people. So Zachariah seems like an interesting one to me, and uh, something that's not just for now, but for long term, but we can maybe give a small fee and, and keep the player. As for internal solutions, I would think about Callum Chambers before I think about moving Ben White out of defence. Mm. Callum Chambers had a year playing for Fulham where he was their player of the year playing in centre midfield. He is that sort of uh, stopper guy that, as Paul alluded to, when Ben White played for Leeds, he literally was like a centre half playing in front, you know, and he's got ability to, to pass the ball and switch the ball to either side. So I think Chambers can do that job. I haven't seen Chambers play for a long time in centre mid and playing for Fulham and bits and pieces and Middlesbrough is not the same playing for Arsenal. We've just got to hope Shaka's fit, really. And um, Shaka with Sambi will be fine. Mate and Niles sharing time. And maybe an internal solution like Chambers, you know, for FA Cup games and things like that, when they come around, we should come around in January. Um, I do think if you are going to do something alone or Zachariah seems sensible, but there, I'm only going on rumours, really. And it'd be interesting to see the type of player that we would, would bring in, you know, so... Um, I'm not against Oxley Chamberlain. I'll just ruin my mentions then. <laughs> I'm not against Oxley Chamberlain. I like people. I like players like him that are quick to the ball and you know powerful transition type players. But I think he's got out the pecking order of Liverpool now. And I, I don't see him moving in the near term. Yeah. Well, that leaves then the attack. And let before we get out of here and turn it over to Phil Costa to talk about the brilliant Emil Smith Rowe, Paul. Um, you know, losing Pepe. Well, yeah, he's he's a bench player right now, so you can you can sort of move beyond that. But losing Aubameyang means there's there's going to be place for someone to take that role. Now, you could say the natural option is Lacazette, and I tend to agree. Having said that, the role he's playing right now is not the role Aubameyang's playing. So I guess he could shift into the Oba role, and, and Odegaard comes in, and they play together. There's also some interest in whether we might see some of Martinelli at striker. Um, you know, it it's... It's interesting because we are sort of lucky that Lacazette has come back into the team and been really effective over this period because he's a player that now it looks like we're going to need for, well, maybe for the whole season, but at a minimum, need him quite a lot for that month. So do you think it's just as simple as everything stays the same where Lacazette plays the Oba role and Odegaard comes in behind him or, or maybe something a little different? Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't think there's any... Uh, for me, a- any doubt there that it'll just be Lacazette playing up for- front. He played quite a bit, in, especially in the second half of the season last year, he played a lot of se- centre forward for us. And I think pretty creditably uh, was one of our more informed players when we were struggling for form. Um, and in fact, I think well before we get to January, <clears throat> that we'll probably have shifted back to largely being using Odegaard as the 10 uh, with whoever Aubameyang up front I don't think we'll do this if you want to call it a 4-4-2 4-4-2 thing throughout the season I think it's just we're riding the vibes of that at the moment it'll be an option we use or maybe an option we use kind of on the 70 minute mark where we bring on Lacazette I don't I just don't, my guess is we'll 
Odegaard will, at some stage in the near future, reestablish his place in the team and he'll be the 10 working with Aubameyang. I'm not 100% sure that'll what, that's what happened, but I think it's more likely than not. Um, maybe we mix it up from game to game, but I doubt you're going to do every every second game or or whatever, rotating between two formations. So we're going to have to pick something. <clears throat> Maybe Lacazette's uh, stamina and fitness through playing all this, he'll, he'll start being able to play 50, 60, 70, 80 minutes with the required level of intensity. But if you're getting 20 or 30 good minutes out of him, uh, against certain teams, that's not going to be enough. And... <clears throat> I think we saw against Leicester, he was ga- looked pretty gassed after about 20, 25 minutes and had a second win towards the end of the first half and then comes out second half refreshed. He got got some time, some minutes from him. But uh, like he's really stretching to get to this 70-minute mark, whereas the one thing you can say about Odegaard, uh, especially if it's a comb- two guys pressing up front, um, Odegaard can join Aubameyang when we're pressing their back line. He's got legs to run all day long. I just think at some stage <clears throat> uh, in the medium term, we're going to flip to it's it's Aubameyang and Odegaard as those two key roles. And maybe we'll incorporate some aspects of this 4-4-2-ish approach we have without the ball um, and lean into Aubameyang as the center forward when we when we're with the ball and Odegaard will play more like a conventional 10. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on that, Clive? I, I guess yeah, I'm so worried about the midfield, but you know, this is another area that's going to lead to a rethink in terms of how we've been attacking. Yeah, this is a, this is a key bit because the bad behind he is obviously he, he, he won't be around. And, and so he is like, he's a, he's playing like a leader now, isn't he? He's leading the charge, leading the press, he's leading with his energy. He's leading the troops over the hill and, so he, he that's a big miss and that that sprinter at the tip of the arrow I think is really important. Um Lacazette doesn't do that. We can obviously adjust, we can play almost like double force nines, if you see what I mean, and play two inside, have sprinters on the side. Well so there is a rumour out there for is it Nikola Jovic at Real Madrid? Now he's a player he's played for Eintracht Frankfurt and Real Madrid brought him at twenty years of age. He is a I urge you not to watch his YouTubes of two, three years ago because because he is so good. You will never sleep. You know, he's, he's unbelievable from crosses. I got news for you. Different. I already don't sleep, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> every, I was talking to FK about this every day online. Uh, I, I will now, I've always liked him, but he's a player that's a memory at the moment. Uh, I think his ability on crosses and different shots, both feet, headers, absolutely massive finishes in the box. Real Madrid bought him and Real Madrid, Real Madrid-ed him, right? Killed him. So had him sitting behind Benzema. Benzema just went to a new level. He's barely played. He went back to Eintracht Frankfurt last year. I'm not quite sure of his form, but the fact I didn't hear much means I don't think he was great. So he's a he's a broken player. He's a project. Will Arsenal go for that? Will they go for that restoration project? Real Madrid, again, well, 25 million euros. And potential loan with an option. So that's something, again... Much like Zachariah, it's a uh, it's a rumor that's been around for quite a while, you know. And um, we do like that pivot player with strength that can own the box. So one to watch there. When it comes to internal solutions, Lacazette will play that one role behind, and like, with maybe an Odegaard. And the only other 
for me, the only other Tipperary player is, is Martinelli, really, isn't it? Because Pepe will be away, Balogun potentially, but I think he needs to go on loan. So I can, you know, this is a challenge for us. It's quite a number of games as well, you know, maybe four, five, six games. This is a real challenge for us. And I'd be interested to see how we approach it. But I said last the other week, building Martinelli now is the most important thing because we're going to need him. We're going to need the kid, the 18-year-old kid who scored a number of goals. You know, numbers, Elliot, I've forgotten them now. But hmm. we, we, we we need that kid again. We need that kid, that kid with confidence. So what we're doing now with him is really important for that month in January in particular. But that's the rumours that are out there. That, and I don't see any other solution to mimic what we're doing. Whatever, whatever we do, we just sprint to the top end of the pitch. And that's the most important thing. And as far as I'm concerned, with Pepe gone and Aubameyang gone, for me, that just leaves Martinelli. So his restoration is really important. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's also complicated by the fact that Someone might get injured. Players might be out. I mean, it is going to be a really tricky period for a lot of clubs. And, you know, I I think as great as it is that we have this one game a week situation, the African Cup of Nations throws everything into a little bit of chaos uh, throughout January. So it'll be very interesting to see which teams can survive that. I think in attack, we have what it takes to ride it out. I think in midfield, that's going to be a lot more interesting if Shaq is not available. So we'll see how that goes. I uh, am really looking forward to hearing what Phil has to say about Emma Smith-Rowe and what scouted football uh, figured out about him other than just that he is the cat's meow. So we'll leave it there. We'll take a quick break. I will tell you about Manscaped, obviously, because I wouldn't want to leave you uh, in the wilderness with Santa's beard in your pants is what it says here. So we'll talk about that. And then uh, we'll get Phil on for the um, for the Emma Smith-Rowe section. Paul's on Twitter, pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! I was on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Playing a little bit hurt myself, so thanks for tolerating that. Again, I do appreciate it. Tone of this pod, a little muted, a little calmer. You might say that's a good thing, but for me, it just doesn't quite feel right. Uh, so we will have an instant reaction, though, on Sunday. I assure you of that, and plenty, plenty, plenty of good stuff throughout the uh, international break. I also think we have an analytics pod from Scott coming maybe as soon as today or tomorrow. So lots more to come. We'll take a break. We'll talk about Manscaped, and Phil Costa will be up after that. Stay with us. Okay, just real quick, since I am not feeling well, let's get this out of the way. You know about Manscaped. You know about the Lawnmower 4.0. You know that you can get 20% off in free worldwide shipping when you go to manscaped.com, use promo code ArsenalVision. At this point, I'm asking you, for my sanity, for all our sake, given that my health is failing here, let's just do this. Let's just go to manscaped.com, use promo code ArsenalVision. Lawnmower 4.0 is available. They have the uh, weed whacker for ear hair and nose hair. They now have the shampoo and conditioner, the body soap, the body wash, that's it, yep, and then all the other tonics and and tinctures and powders and things like that to keep your area fresh. I don't know how many times i got to say this. This is stuff we all do, right, and we all do it. So the question is, is there a better product out there that pampers you more, that takes better care of you? I don't think so. And I think with Lawnmower 4.0 in particular, like if you are going to trim body hair, then you should just do it with this. Get ceramic blades, skin-safe technology, a long battery life, wet dry use, a nice LED light so you can see what you're doing, adjustable um, sizing guards you can put on so you can do different stuff like eyebrows and things like that. It's just a brilliant purpose-driven device designed to be the best body trimmer you can get. It's that simple. So go to manscaped.com, use promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off free shipping. I don't have Clive here to ask if that's enough, but it's literally all I can muster today. So please go there and do that. And now, Phil Custom. Okay, we're back, and now it is my great pleasure, as it always is, to welcome Phil Costa on the podcast. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hey, Elliot. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, my pleasure. I, I want to clear up one thing I said wrong in the previous section. I'll blame you, but it's not your fault. Uh, I was talking about, we were discussing the Tierney and Tavares situation and uh, whether it might be Tierney for Liverpool after the international break. And I was talking about Tavares having a couple weeks to be at Colney with Arteta and Tierney not having that time. But Tavares has been called up to the Portugal under-21s, I believe. So um, they'll both be away. So just a little correction there for people who say that I don't know what I'm talking about. I still don't know what I'm talking about, but I am correcting that. So, Phil, um, let's start with the new scouted football edition that's come out. The cover boy is Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, maybe you could just give us sort of a quick introduction on what the volume is to begin with. Yeah, no, I mean, well, obviously it's it's about uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, everybody's favorite um, well, second, maybe a joint favorite Haylander at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, not Southgate. <laughs> yeah, not Southgate. No, no. Get, get those kids away from the, the team. Um, yeah, no, basically we just produce a, a quarterly magazine that features, you know, uh, 25 players, you know, from around the world in, in different leagues and different continents that are, have basically caught our eye. And, and obviously in, in this edition, we've decided to make uh, Smith Rowe, the cover boy, the cover star, you know, he wanted in front and center and, and the artwork is, is really cool. And it's awesome. It's yes. sort of what it's like the third shirt design sort of enfolding around him a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Over the red home Jersey. And it just looks yep. so clean. It's almost like a, a photograph. There's so much detail in there. Um, so Kevin did a wonderful job with those. And, and obviously if they, if he's on the cover, then there's going to be some, some words inside. So I've written a, a profile about him and, you know, his strengths, his weaknesses, his, you know, forecast for the future and stuff like that. So that's what I've done. And then there's also a, a big feature on Hayland, um, written by Lewis Ambrose, who many people will know from from this podcast and, and the Ask Blog preview pods. And I think there's, you know, eight pages of that feature. So he's gone through, you know, back in the back in the days with Merson and Tony Adams, all the way through to to Kieran Gibbs and, and now we're stopping off in, in this wonderful generation now so yeah really cool piece and you know we just wanted to give it some some love and some publicity because it because of the obviously the heavy arsenal angle so yeah we just thought it would be a a nice opportunity to to give some copies away here on on this podcast and and yeah hopefully people can enjoy it yeah that would be great why don't we um get into a little of the details in there first of all with respect to the article that, that lewis wrote on Haaland, i mean did he was he able to get sort of any access to to some of the guys that have been responsible over the years. I mean, because it's, it's changed so much. I think we went through a period there where Halen maybe wasn't producing the kind of talent that we'd expect. And and there's been a big change, a big overhaul there. And I think it's been a focus of the club. And to be fair to Raul, he he identified it as one of the pillars of the club. And, you know, not a man that I regard particularly highly as doing anything good for Arsenal. But I, I do have to say that it seemed like there was a lot of focus on changing and improving what was going on in the academy. And it, it is bearing fruit. So is that something that maybe Lewis uncovered in in his examination what do you sort of attribute the the changes to principally well actually um it obviously there was a a sort of pointed effort towards improving the the youth setup and those coming through into the first team from from Sanyehi, but it was actually Andres Yonker who mm. kind of kick-started everything by um there was a pretty damning quote and he said that Arsenal was stuck in the past um, in their in their academy, and I think he made a real effort to improve the facilities, improve the coaching, give a real clear pathway into the first team, and really focus, you know, um, 
some strong efforts onto the academy to, to to get some players into the first team, you know. And um, it was really sort of interesting to read his take on the situation because you'd imagine at a big Premier League club like Arsenal, who have a, a strong history of youth, you know, they wouldn't you wouldn't think there'd be too many issues there, but. Um, there were a few quotes from from the man himself that uh, Lewis got, um, and yeah, he was uh, rather scathing. So I think it's uh, maybe we have him to thank for a couple of these guys coming through now. But I think a club like Arsenal should always have youth and this kind of connection to to its own at the centre of everything they do. And, and and I'm really glad that we're that we're kind of seeing it now in in some of the boys coming through now. So. Um, but yeah, that was, it was just a really nice feature from, from, from obviously the, the olden, uh, not the olden days, but you know, back when we, <laughs> on how old you are, <laughs> ye old, yes. Um, you know, back from when, you know, Tony Adams and Paul Merson were there and, and, and yeah, Lewis, you know, this it's really well researched and everything. So, um, you get nice artwork, good research pieces. I mean, what's not to like really. So we just thought people would, um, would enjoy the Arsenal focus of it this time. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like there was a, a pretty big lull there in terms of turning out elite talent. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, really... Well, well, let me ask you, first of all, what do you think con- constitutes a success from the academy? Because there would be people that would say, well, Kieran Gibbs wasn't a success, or Alex Awobi wasn't a success. But I would say that those are resounding successes, that when your academy produces players that play for the first team at all, let alone secure really sizable fees to go on and play for other Premier League clubs, in, in the case of Alex Wobey or Joe Willock, for that matter, that those are successes. But, you know, how do you view what a good academy should be doing for a club of Arsenal's size and, you know, whether Arsenal maybe did go through a period where it was really underperforming those requirements? I think a good academy makes careers, regardless of whether they end up at Arsenal or not. Mm. Um, and I would completely agree with you. Kieran Gibbs, what, played 150 games for Arsenal? <laughs> that, if yep. that's not a success, then I don't know what is. Um, you know, we we brought him through and and he played a big role in some some big cup wins. You know, Alex Iwobi obviously divides opinion, but we, we sold him for like £35 million. The same with Joe Willock. You know, it's just like, how can you not view this as a, as a, as a nothing but success? Um, you know, these are guys that we've taken on from seven, eight years old. Um, you know, when you've got just a, a semblance of talent, there's no coaching, there's no, um, you know, footballing intuition at that age. So you have to craft that yourselves. And to see these guys go on and have Premier League careers, even championship careers is a huge success. You know, there have been maybe one or two occasions where talent has slipped through the um slip through the net, shall we say, Serge Gnabry, for example, um, Ismail Benasser, who's at Milan now, you know, a couple of these guys, Daniel Marlin, who moved for a lot of money, but it's just how it goes. You can't keep everybody, you know, so they're, they're also in charge of their own careers and they can make decisions when they want. So, you know, I think on the whole, there were some issues and, and for me, the club have rectified those through, First Yonker, then Sanyehi, and now with with someone like Per Mertesacker in place, I think we're more than on the right track to to have Halen back in the in the good books again. Yeah, and I mean it is interesting because I, I'm trying to think of any period when I've been a fan of Arsenal, really, you know, knowledgeable fan. You might say there's never been a period like that, but um, when there's been this many players making major impacts in the first team or 
flitting around the first team. I mean, if you go back the last few seasons, Inkedia, Saka, Smith Rowe, Nelson, Willock. Did I say Maitland Niles? Maitland Niles, if I didn't, I think I did. Um, you know, there have been academy players really throughout involved in the team and, and playing a big role in the team. And now Balogun, you know, presumably will be in the mix at some point. Um, you know, there have been young players that aren't really academy players, players like Martinelli and Gaduzzi. But I, I don't know. I mean, is this the golden era of, of the Hayland Academy since, you know, the heady days of, of Merson and Tony Adams? I think you could you could definitely make a case for that. I mean, those names that you mentioned, um, you know, they they have made tangible contributions, and even if they don't end up having this, you know, Tony Adams esque one club career with I don't know a million appearances for Arsenal, and we sell them, you know, at some point, like we're still going to get money for them because they're young and English. You know, it's just yeah. like I I even people get upset when they don't make it. But this is essentially them making it anyway because we've, we've given them a, a good career and they've forged good careers having come out of the Arsenal Academy. So I think there's a lot of, we feel kind of pre- this paternal protection um, over our Academy products and they have to be here and succeed under our roof. And it's just like, you know, the good ones will will stay. If they're good enough, they'll be here, they'll play if things don't quite work out for the other the other guys, then, you know, good luck to them. And, and we keep an eye out and hope for the best. So it's just how things go, you know. And I think, as I mentioned before, success is measured through their careers. And so far, I don't think, from that group especially, I don't think there's anybody, you know, that can claim that we've mismanaged their careers. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, going back to the Arsene Wenger years of the 2010s, like obviously Jack Wilshire was the, the gold standard, the crown jewel of the academy, and it didn't work out. Uh, injuries largely to blame for that, I think. But there were a lot of sort of players that flattered to deceive in the sense that they were there on the fringe, the Benicophobies or Chuba Akpoms or J. Emmanuel Thomases, uh, you know, who came with a lot of hype and didn't make it. And we always see some of that. I mean, like right now, obviously, it's not enough that we have Sack and Smith Rowe starting game in, game out. You know, Miguel Aziz and Charlie Patino are banging on the door and Kiddo Taylor Hart. Um, you know, I mean, do you think that sometimes we just don't have the right expectation for the hit rate on the academy? Like it is, it is the case that you're getting these players very young, the range of outcomes is massive. And even if someone is really impressing at that level, it's not always super predictive of what they'll be. So when you look at that next group, Patino, Aziz, Kiddo Taylor Hart, um, you know, some of the players that are really being uh celebrated from from that class. And I mean Heck, Balogun's even still playing in the reserves at times. Do you do you think that we'll see a similar level of success, or that maybe Saka and Smith Rowe have have given us false expectations for what you should look for from the academy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's easy to forget that how lucky we we are to have stumbled across these two guys at this particular moment. I mean, they've probably saved us what a hundred million in yeah, transfer least, fees yeah. maybe, mm-hmm. maybe even more yeah um and they've just come right right out of our doorstep so you know what what's happening now is genuinely amazing um and you mentioned a couple of those guys you know patino uh Balogun, aziz we're all guilty of it we all when we see a young guy coming through with some potential and there's you know some potential to be in and around the first team there's nothing better for us because we project ourselves onto them Right. Yeah. Everybody wants to be that person, you know, and to to see them, 
you know, not fulfill that success and that potential at the club is almost like your, you know, failure as well coming to the fore, you know, and it's, and it's just, we're all guilty of it. It's part of what makes football so good because you build connections with these guys, you know, and it's, you know, it's normal to have expectations, but a lot of the time it's, it's so, there's such a weight and a pressure, um, you know, coming straight onto these guys from the academy. And, and they're 18 years old. I mean, ha- some people weren't even at university by then. So imagine coming into top-level football, playing against seasoned professionals who are going to kick you at every opportunity and are twice the size of you. You know, it's so difficult. And especially now with the modern game being so fast and so transition-heavy, you need to be right at that level athletically as well to to even hold your own. And you know, I think we're all so excited to see them come through that we just put so much on them. But I think in the case of Arsenal, you know, there were a couple of League Cup games this year and it was like, where's Patino? where's Patino? Hmm. And, oh, Salah didn't get off the bench. And it's just like, you know, I think Arteta has shown enough um, during his time at the club to to sort of give a confidence to the fans that if people are ready, they will get opportunities. And I think... There's no need to rush them because I, especially Patino, I have a, a really good feeling that that we could have a player there. So I'm just here for the journey, man. I'm I'm really excited and I'm glad that we've taken this this youth a youthful approach, should we say, because it's so enjoyable to watch as a fan. It certainly makes it more enjoyable. I agree. I, I think also what happens, right, is you hear whispers about players who are good at another club or, you know, coming up. I remember we were linked with Nkunku and I was like, who is this Nkunku guy? Well, it turns out he's actually pretty good, but like, he's not an Arsenal player. He's some player that plays somewhere else that people are whispering about being particularly good. What makes Academy kids sort of unique is like, they're these players that you hear about. Oh yeah, this guy Patino, he's going to be really good. Or, you know, Reese Nelson, he's going to be good. He's going, he's off at Red Bull and he's doing great things there. And like, the difference is it's not just that you're hearing whispers about them, but they're your players and they're coming up through your academy. And so you imbue them with all of these hope and optimism and you trust every rumor and you believe everything that's said about them. And then like, it can be hard to sort of catch up with the reality that nothing they've accomplished necessarily translates to senior football. And that's a whole different level that they have to reach when they get in that Arsenal first team. And it is very rare. You know, you see, I, I mean, I just, I don't know. You see what, what Smith Rowe and Sack are doing. And when you're ready, you, it's just so clear you're ready. Um, it's why it also blows my mind what Cesc Fabregas did at the age he did to come in and be as dominant as he was. I mean, those, yeah. those are, those are the outliers. Um, well, so, so let's, let's get into ML Smith Rowe, why you picked him as a cover boy and what your sort of um, research on him turned up and what you were looking for. The interesting thing with Smith Rowe is I can't think of a player who had the same kind of trajectory in the first team that he did. Because prior to that Chelsea game, Boxing Day last season, he had really hardly ever played for Arsenal. And he goes away to Huddersfield and he has a good loan. And he comes back and he's injured. And he goes into the game when Arsenal are at their absolute low ebb. In a game that was, you know, I think some people thought might even finish off Mikel Arteta. The expectation was that we would get battered. I mean, we were sitting near the relegation zone. And... He plays brilliantly. We win the game. And he goes on, for as long as he's fit, to basically be an ever-present in the first team. And when he plays, we've mostly been good. I can't think of another academy kid who's at the same kind of propulsive injection into the team in the way that he has. I mean, even Bukayo Saka was in, was out a bit, played a little bit of left-back, right, or a little bit of right-back, whatever it was, moved around a bit, and then really started to hit stride. So 
do you do you find his introduction to be unique in that respect that he came not from nowhere but from very little experience in the first team to essentially becoming an ever present overnight with that boxing day victory yeah absolutely i mean we we'd seen glimpses of him under Unai Emery in the Europa League and there were other cup games that he'd come in and out of but as you said it was just every time you felt like he was on the cusp of something there was always a shoulder injury or a groin injury and then it would be like three months and it's like where's Smith Rowe like what the hell's happened here he's gone again and you're just like please don't let this be another another Wilshire situation you know but it was interesting because I I wrote in in the profile um, only a mixture of bad luck and injuries merely delayed his inevitable breakthrough. Like for me, it was he was always Arsenal quality. Like you just see the way he moves, his first touch, his natural kind of intuition for the game. This was this was an Arsenal player, and we just needed his body to catch up a little bit with the physical demands of of top level football. And I'm so pleased um, that, as you said, once he broke through on that on that fateful day, that boxing day, um, sounds like a whimsical tale. It's like that his body's kind of held up. And, you know, the word for me is a catalyst. He was a, the definition of a catalyst when he came into the side. And we, that was like one hell of a, to- uh, a corner we turned, you know. Um, and I, I'm just so happy and so pleased that he's managed to to not only have such an incredible effect on the team, but stay injury-free as well. Because, his qualities are exactly what we needed at that very moment. And he just came in and yeah, it was perfect. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we have him and he's a, he's a personal favorite of mine. So writing this piece was, was just a joy really having to watch through the footage and look at his stats and stuff. I love him. I'm still not sure what he is. And what I mean by that is I, I mean, he wears the 10. I'm not sure what a 10 is anymore. He loves to make that sort of second man run, you know, arrive in the box late to score. He's playing off the left a little, but tucking inside. He has almost the Ramsey-esque engine of driving from deep and propelling the ball forward. It was Gary Neville, I think, who said he's the best player, with, or Carragher, I guess, the best player with the ball is yeah, Carragher right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like a lot of these players in, in Mikel Arteta's system, we're still sort of figuring out what's best for them. I think Saka has now sort of settled in on the right. Odegaard, we're still sort of trying to see where that fits. Do you have a sense of where Smithrow will land in terms of the position that will suit him best and and what he needs to improve to do that? From my eyes, he can still improve his the consistency of his delivery in the final third. That he, you know when he makes those buccaneering runs forward, the timing and weight and decision making of that final ball can still maybe go up a notch. Is that is that something that you see in his game? Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, but it's also easy to forget that this is somebody with less than fifty senior appearances under his belt. Um, you know, I just, you can kind of use that critique for any young player, I guess. I mean, even Kylian Mbappe yesterday missed three one-on-ones for PSG and they ended up drawing 2-2 with RB Leipzig. So, mm-hmm. you know, and this is like the the cream of the crop. Like, um, I don't know. I feel like the more he plays, it will just be with experience and, and and these things come, you know, like you said, Fabregas was just a complete anomaly that like we will never, probably will never see anything like him for, for the next 10, 20 years. Um, but for me, his value in the side is, is kind of the oil that greases the wheels. I know Tim's made the comparison to Thomas Rosicki before on the podcast. And that for me is, is a perfect one. I just think he's, you know, someone that just flutters around the pitch. He's a, he's a facilitator when you need, 
when you need him to run in behind and stretch teams, he can do it. When you need him in to create overloads in midfield, he can do that. He's always looking to give it and go. Just an injection of speed and quality. And, and these players are, are priceless because how often did we see during that difficult spell, oh, take a touch, roll it under the boot, go to the right back, bring it back to Granit Xhaka. He goes to the left back, roll it under the boot. And it's just like, come on, guys, give it. You know, you just need something. And, and for me, he brings all of that. And I think it's quite interesting because generally, I know they've improved of late, but generally he doesn't jump out at you on the stats page. Um, there's nothing really like you think, wow, um, this, this guy's, you know, an incredible dribbler or, um, you know, uh, expected goals or expected assists. There's nothing so amazing. I mean, the numbers are steady, shall we say, but I just think his all around game and what he brings to the side in terms of his intuition, um, knowing where to stand, how to wait the pass, where to control the ball, for me, that stuff is, you know, he's just got such a high footballing IQ. And for me, he is an Arsenal player. That is Arsene Wenger and a football player. Mm. And for me, that is such a nice sentiment, you know, and I, I really in, enjoy what he brings. Yeah, it's it's difficult because I we always do this thing. Where we're like, oh, could he play in central midfield? Could he be a 10? Could he be a nine? Could he be, you know, and, and the, these players do tend to get chances to move around the pitch and do different things. What did you think about that comment? I mean, I guess it was um, last season Arteta said, you know, he's the number 10 for Arsenal. He needs to get 15 goals and 10 assists, and he has the ability to do that. I mean, to be fair, very, very few players get 15 goals and 10 assists. But he sort of laid down a marker of what he wanted from Smith-Rowe, and I do get the sense that Smith-Rowe is trying to up that end product this season. Do you see him being that kind of prolific end product player or more of a, like, tempo quickener between the lines? I mean, it's difficult to say, I mean, I can definitely see him getting there eventually, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. Well, 15 now. and 10 is ridiculous. Like, come on. That, I mean, that's, that's like Kevin De Bruyne. Numbers, yeah. That's literally right? what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's a bit of an, an overspend, uh, in, in that kind of department. But for me, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, we'll go back to Fabregas again and, and Ramsey, there was kind of a moment when you could see them, when you could see things click in front of goal for them. I don't know if you noticed that or if you could feel something similar, but there was loads of times where Ramsey used to go through and he used to put it wide or, you know, the the, the, the fans used to get on Ramsey's back a yep. lot for that kind of yep. thing. And, and then all of a sudden, that one season, you know, uh, I think it was 2013-14, it was just like, everything's in, everything's going in. Mm-hmm. He's scoring volleys, he was, you know, scoring flicks in front of the keeper, it was sitting defenders down, and I'm slowly seeing that with Smith-Rowe now. I can see him, there's a, a more, there's an ease in front of goal, there's a more natural feeling there, and I think a couple of his finishes this year, this season, actually, particularly the one at Leicester, I think that's a really smart finish, because, um, you know, it's, the ball fell kindly to him, obviously, but there's a lot in his way. There's two defenders throwing themselves at that. Schmeichel's obviously a very good keeper, but he just ran onto it, side footed it in, done. Like it was just really nice. And I think there's a, you know, he's just become far more comfortable in those kind of areas and we needed it. Maybe if, you know, the target that Arteta set was, was a bit un, unreasonable or a bit too far ahead, you know, I think we needed goals from him at some point and slowly, slowly we're seeing it come to the fore. And, and you know, this is this is a really good player we have on our hands. And I don't, I, I think people don't realise um, just what we've got yet. I think it will come, but people are maybe just overlooking it slightly. 
Well, it also shows just the quality of his engine, the value of that engine with the... So one of the goals was against Spurs, right? It's the give and yep. go with Aubameyang where he comes from deep, gets on it, and bursts past. He then had a very similar one against... Was it Villa? Did he score yeah, yeah, Villa, when he, yeah. the one off Tyrone Mings. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and it's basically the same thing. And it just takes a tremendous... Awareness, but also an engine, right, Phil? Because like he starts from very deep in both of those moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he showed, you know, he gives it to Aubameyang. I think a lot of players in that situation would be like, I gave it to my forward, job done. But by carrying that run forward, which a lot of players, you know, I think we take for granted movement that, oh, players just run. But they don't. There are some players that just give the ball. We were rewatching the Leicester game, and there was a moment where, um, where Tomiyasu gives it to someone on the right and I'm not necessarily sure who it was, but he then, the minute he gives it, he sprints into the space so it can be a given. Oh, it's Lacazette. And it's a one-two, and it, it gets us out of trouble, and away we go, and, and we have a, an attack that winds up going up the left. If Tomiyasu had just given it to Lacazette and stayed still, Lacazette would have the ball taken off, and he wouldn't have had anyone mm-hmm. to give it to. Mm-hmm. And I think we take for granted you know, what happens on the ball as being the, the thing when what happens off the ball really dictates what players can do. And you see that with Smith Rowe so much, I think, that the way he runs with the ball at his feet is eye-catching. But look at those long-bursting runs to get in a position on two, both of those Aubameyang layoffs where I don't think a lot of players make up that ground and get there. That's that's a special skill, right? I mean, that's, that's something that we should probably be more attuned to. Completely. Um, people don't realize how taxing football can be because um, you're constantly stopping, starting, running here. Sometimes you don't even get the ball and you've made like a 50-yard sprint into the corner. And it's just the the key thing about football is the next pass. And for me, Smith Rowe is already a king at that. He knows where to be, how to give it to the receiver of his pass so they can put it on their stronger foot or where the space is. And that's stuff that, that is so difficult to teach. Obviously, Someone like Mbappe, for example, who has raw physical quality when he can sprint and, you know, um, completely burst past defenders and finish. But for me, that kind of footballing IQ, um, it's just so impressive. And I think Saka has that as well, honestly. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they're just super intelligent. And I don't know, with Smith Rowe, I kind of feel like behind this laid back demeanor, this quite shy demeanor, there's a lot of determination there. And I think. Not that he's making up for lost time, but I think he's just really enjoying his football at the moment. He's injury-free. Um, he's really putting in a shift out on that left-hand side. You know, he's tracking back. He's doing his defensive work. Um, and yeah, I just think he's come on so much. I mean, even from the start of this season, I think his levels have gone up again. Um, and I just think, you know, we're, we're just so lucky to have these two in our team and I'm, I'm just enjoying watching them every week. Yeah, yeah, I, I think... The other thing that sometimes happens too when you have two um when you have two academy kids breaking through at the same time, there almost becomes a a feeling like you need to pick who's the better one. You know what I mean? And like they're both excellent in their own way, and I think it's great. Um let me ask you a question that none of us want to consider, but there was a bid for Smith Rowe, or maybe there was a bid. There was a rumor of interest in Smith Rowe this summer from Villa. Mm-hmm. Realistically, I think it's very hard right now with the way the market is to understand what any player is worth because there are only a few clubs that have any cash and almost all of them are Premier League clubs. But every player has a value. The hardest thing in the world can be letting go of you know, the players you, you cherish the most. And Arsenal went through a lot of pain losing Fabregas and Nasri and Van Persie and you know even Adebayor to some extent. And you know there was that period where 
you know, player, even Alex Lab players were leaving and it was painful, but we now, we sort of know we've grown up to learn that like selling players can be the key to unlocking the future. I'll ask you sort of a, a dual question that's tricky. One is, is there a price that makes sense? I mean, there's always a price, but, but what do you sense is the value of these hailing kids, you know, Smith Rowe and Saka in particular, and is it worth moving them on if that price is offered? Or do you think that the value of having these kids and the upside of them is so much that Arsenal should just plan to build around them and, and knock back any offer, whatever the size? Oof, wow. You've, you've put me on the spot there. I, well, I mean, like you the said, funny thing is I, I always sort of presume, Oh, if you get them, you know, if someone comes with a hundred million offer, you take it, but you know, in this market and you say, what does it get you? And where will these kids wind up? Like there is an argument to be made for, you know, building around core mm-hmm, pieces mm-hmm. and they could certainly be yeah. it, but you know, maybe that's, maybe that's short-sighted. I mean, it's what you said. There is always a number, but what these two bring to Arsenal at the moment is more than just a potential financial gain. I think I'm not saying they've done it alone, but they've played a significant contribution in our fortunes turning around. Um, and I think they offer, they offer, what's the word that I'm looking for here? It's, they, they, they help build a relationship between the fans and the players. Absolutely. Because as we meant, as we mentioned before, these are your dreams and your, your, you know, everything you've wanted as a, since you were five years old on the pitch right in front of you and you're living through them. And I think what's more, what's the the better feeling for me is that they seem completely committed to Arsenal and enjoying their football. Um, I mean, Smith Rowe, when he scored against Villa the other day, you know, he was there kissing the badge and holding the badge and, and he just took a minute. He was by the corner flag and he just took a minute and he closed his eyes and you could almost feel like the, like Jesus here, this is me right now doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, scoring. Realization of the dream. Again, yeah. Absolutely. And against Spurs, you know, we had the goal and assist from Smith Rowe. We had the goal and assist from Saka. And it just makes it so much better. You know, like when you see these guys performing well and you saw them slide, slide over to each other and, oh, you know, I was speaking to Emil about this at breakfast yesterday. And it's like, these are kids. Yeah. These are kids. And then, you know, it's just obviously if someone comes in with like 150 or anything over 100, I think the club would naturally consider it because you'd be stupid not to. But like you said, in this market, in this kind of shortage of of guaranteed world-class players that that would actually come to Arsenal as well, let's not forget, um, at the moment, is it worth it? I don't know. For me, that that kind of sentiment, that relationship, that, that kind of factor that they bring is arguably worth more than that money to Arsenal right now. I'm not saying Yeah, I mean who would future. want to be a director of football, right? <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's just so difficult. I mean it's difficult for us because we're fans as well, so there will always be a sentiment attached. Um Well, because let's me, be honest, Phil, you can step back and you'd be like we're talking about guys that combined don't have more than, you know, what, 15 Premier League goals between them or whatever it is. So yeah. it's like mm-hmm. and again, that's not me knocking them down, but there there comes a point where your Arsenal supporter hat and your fandom and your love for the kids has to crash up against the reality of like what we want to achieve and what their ceiling could be and trying to project that. And it all gets very complicated. And like, honestly, 
just really happy it's not my job because I can sit back and just enjoy them. Yeah. yeah, and if they do leave, then we can just fume about it on Twitter. So yeah. um, we have the easy job. But yeah, I don't know. I just feel like they they really resemble a, a journey um, and the start of something new for this club, which for me at the moment brings more to the club and to the fans than money. That's just how I feel right now. Obviously, things can change. I mean, Saka's contract situation is a bit, oh, you know, we have to be there again soon. Um, but, you know, I just think for what they offer, not only on the pitch, but in terms of the general feeling, you know, we're just super lucky to have them. And I'm, I'm really enjoying watching them come through and develop. Yeah, well said. All right, last thing before we get out of here. Do you have any worries that Conte turns Spurs into a decent team or is it the history of the Tottenham? They'll just, they'll just be bad. <laughs> well, I mean, there's always that, but I, I did the mistake of looking through their squad and I thought, well, you know, there's a, a few potential wing backs here and these guys could be good in a back three. And, oh, look, there's the lukaku Lataro martinez combination in Harry Kane and Hyun-Min Son. Um, you know, it just annoys me how they've stumbled upon him. You know, because he should be nowhere near that club. Do you um, blame United? <laughs> yeah, what are they doing? I mean, I don't, I don't care because the longer Ollie's there, the the better it is for us. But I'm just like, come on, this is he, he's he was begging for that job. <laughs> like, oh, you know, when there was all that uncertainty over Ollie, it was like, oh yeah, uh, he would be open to speaking to Man United, and mm. you know, it's just like he was there, ready for you, and you. Ugh, I don't know why they're sticking with this guy, but he'll have to dry his tears with the twenty million pounds they're paying him. <laughs> Oh yeah, and it's all going to crash down eventually. They're going to sell someone, or they're going to have a fallout with Levy, and you know the cycle continues. This is the Conte cycle. We know about Mourinho year three, but this always happens with Conte as well. So, but I do have a couple of concerns. I'll whisper it a couple, a couple. Um, but you know, let's see. Let's see what happens. For now, I'm happy with with us, and and we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I, I'm just glad, you know, maybe it all turns around now, maybe it doesn't. I'm just glad we got to live through Harry Kane getting booed by the Spurs fans. Before. Oh, man, that was, that was hilarious, wasn't Brilliant. it? I mean, yeah. how, Daniel Levy must be, you know, when people see like the dollar signs sometimes in their eyes, it's like, what's the opposite of that? Just like depreciation <laughs> right in front of him, decay. You know, every time he plays, he does not look like the six, 1% bothered is amazing. I love it. I love, I love it. Spurs yeah. Now. Long may it continue. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, yeah. I better end this podcast before I just fall down face first in the <laughs> desk here. So, uh, Phil, as always, it's a pleasure. Yeah. I look forward to doing the Euro roundups with the, or Europe. Absolutely. Football roundups with you on the Patreon side. And I hope everyone will check out the, uh, the scouted football issue that you have out, check out the artwork. It is absolutely sensational for Emil Smith Rowe. And I'm sure we'll have you on again. Phil's on Twitter at, underscore phil costa thanks phil cheers thank you so much i mean there'll be a couple of additions to give away as well we'll give you guys some yep. some additions if you just want give to me some information on that and on the next pod i'll um i'll do a uh, contest sound good absolutely perfect that, cheers that for way having i me don't on. have to deal with it now <laughs> no worries <laughs> no, no worries at all go back to bed get back on the iv drip yeah there we go uh, we'll do the drip right. doctors yeah <laughs> uh that's a different thing although <laughs> you know also can be helpful when you're feeling good. Um, let's definitely stop talking, though. My name is Alex Smith. You can Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, should have an analytics pod coming for you from Scott in the near future over on the Patreon side. An instant reaction on Sunday after the Watford game and then tons and tons of stuff coming out next week, including an interview Tim has done that'll be a lot of fun. So more to come. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Watford. No.
Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, a company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.